Welcome to the Tibetan Blog of Living and Dying podcast, celebrating 20 years of the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. This is the first part of a three-part teaching on the art of happiness. In October 2003, His Holiness the Dalai Lama gave seven days of teachings in Paris. The teaching event, which was entitled The Art of Happiness, was attended by over 10,000 people, including many eminent lamas, and was organized by Compassion Paris 2003. Rigpa had the great honor of being one of the Buddhist groups that founded Compassion Paris 2003. During this event, Saga Rinpoche gave the following teaching, which was attended by over 3,000 people, including lamas and lay Tibetans. I'm going to present to you tonight a glimpse of the Buddhist wisdom of Tibet and its vision of life and death. I will try to give you the heart of what is contained in my book, The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. We live in a time of great change and turmoil, and all of us have to face uncertainty, suffering, and fear, whether during our lives or as we come to die. We all need to find a way to understand, transform difficulties, crises, problems, troubles with the deeper acceptance, insight, and compassion. This is how we will discover the peace of mind, courage, stability, and the contentment that will give us the inner refuge that we need so much to meet the challenges of the world today. As His Holiness Dalai Lama has pointed out, a great Tibetan teacher of the mind training once remarked that one of the most marvelous quality of the mind is that it can be transformed. Often when he's asked about how to find happiness, or what is the art of happiness? I remember him saying many times that granted the external circumstances and situations to, to a certain extent contribute to one's suffering happiness, but fundamentally happiness and suffering depend upon the mind and the heart. That is to say how the mind perceives through the five senses. Because we can train the mind and so transform our fundamental attitudes so we can learn how to overcome difficulties, cope with even great problems, like His Holiness mentioned on his first days of teaching. On the, I think the first day was very inspiring about that, how to overcome difficulties, suffering, you see. And that really, uh, to overcome, like including sickness, crisis in life, suffering, grief, connect with dying and death, so we can turn everything, even suffering, into a source of happiness and source of strength. So, since now we're going into the main subject about really life and death, about living and dying, it will be kind of, I try to make it very systematic, clear, and uh, also as, as practical as possible. And so that first we begin with understanding death and impermanence, which is a reflection, a deep reflection on death. 
and impermanence. Learn to die, and thou shalt learn how to live. There shall none learn how to live that had not learned to die. These words written hundreds of years ago in the medieval book of The Craft of Dying often comes to my mind when we think about our understanding of death and its relationship to life. If we can only learn how to face death, then we, have we would have learned the most important lesson of life, that is to say, how to face ourselves and so come to terms with ourselves in the deepest possible sense as human beings. But unfortunately, in the modern age, we do not look at life and death as a whole. As a result, we become very attached to this life and we reject and deny death. And death becomes our ultimate fear, the last thing that we want to look at. I often tell people, if you're concerned about dying or if you're worried about dying, don't worry, I promise you will all die successfully. Then why are we afraid of death? Actually, beneath our fear of death is fear of looking into and facing ourselves because the moment of death is the moment of truth. In fact, death is like a mirror in which the true meaning of life is reflected. In the Christian monastic tradition, there's a saying, memento mori, remember dying, or more to the point, remember you must die. Because if you remember dying, then you might understand what life is. For the death is, in fact, the foundation of the very core of all the spiritual path. There's a most wonderful saying by Muhammad. When he was asked, how do you polish the heart? How do you get rid of the rust and the debris from heart? He replied, by remembrance of God and much thought of death. In fact, thinking of death is very close to thinking of God because death brings home what God is. I'm speaking for people of other religions. Eh? Unfortunately, modern people look at death as a kind of a loss and defeat. But from a spiritual point of view, death is not a tragedy to be feared, but an opportunity for transformation. Death is our greatest teacher. It wakes us up so that we don't become slothful, lazy, and naive. But trouble with us is that even though we know we will die one day, but because we do not know when or how we are going to die, so we think we have an unlimited lease on our lives. And so we procrastinate. As you know, laziness has many different forms. In the modern world, the one most practiced is what's called active laziness. What is that? That we keep ourselves so busy that we don't, we don't even have time to think about or take care of the most important things and so if we fool ourselves, death on the other hand tells us it's time to stop kidding ourselves. Because actually coming to terms with death then is actually coming to terms with life. Yet all too often it seems we only start to think about death 
just before we die. But isn't that a bit too late? Teachings show us that we should prepare for death now when we are well and in a happy frame of mind, particularly in those moments when we are naturally inspired into introspection. This is when we begin to see life and death. When we're inspired, for example, when we're really inspired, then we are more naturally, you see, inspired to look deeply into life and death in a more inspired and profound way. Those moments are the moments we must use to really contemplate on death and come to make friends with death. As we reflect on death, we come to realize that we could die at any moment. And so we have to be ready. After all, dying is actually very simple. You breathe out. You can't breathe in. That's it. Very simple. Very immediate. You see, death is actually, death is in every moment of our life. In fact, living with immediacy of death or coming to face, to face with death, help us in fact. If you were to ask, what is the point of reflecting on death? Like, what is the teaching ask you to really live with immediacy of death, reflecting on it? It's not being morbid at all. In fact, the real point of this, as we come to, you see, live with immediacy of death, that we could die at any moment, for example. In fact, there's a teaching, it's, in the teaching it says, where the tomorrow, next life, which begins first, we do not know. When we live that way, then you see, it helps us to really see what's important. The bigger picture. Because otherwise what happens is that when we have no knowledge of death and impermanence, we think we are going to go on living forever, even though we know we will die. But that, that's somewhere in the background, but it's not really important now. Now important to be busy. <laughs> you see? You understand? Compon? So you see, it is because of that, that when you live with immediacy of death, you actually come to see. Like suppose if you were to die, then you see? Then you really look and see, you begin to realize that you see, the life that you lived is not the way you would wish to. So the whole point is to really, by actually reflecting on death, actually help us to see life, the preciousness of life. Compon? C'est important. C'est the point. That's the point. And to help us to sort our priorities. It is just amazing. And then you see, Impermanence, for example. Impermanence, change and uncertainty. Is that as we reflect on life, we come to realize that everything in this life, you see, I've, I've completed reflection on death now. A reflection on impermanence. Like, for example, as we reflect on life, we come to realize that everything in life is actually impermanent. Usually we plan our lives, organize and arrange everything and keep things as safe and secure as possible, but yet our security gets blown away when impermanence takes place in an almost unexpected way. Then we have no idea how to cope because we have not planned for it. So 
if you really wish to have a secure plan for life, then we need to prepare on a deeper level to find an inner refuge. And in fact, when you have that inner refuge, even though everything around us falls apart, there is something that inside you that never gives up on you, that never lets you down. And that is what, this is what the teachings provide, that inner refuge. In fact, you see, I often ask myself, you see, a very simple question, but a fundamental one. Which is, why is everything permanent? Why things always change? And I get one answer back. That is, that is how life is. C'est la vie. Because actually, life is impermanent. And the discontinuity is the part of fundamental continuity. For example, if a watch, even a Swiss watch, if it doesn't tick or move or change, it's not working, it's dead. And if, you, if your heart is not beating constantly, changing, then you're dead. In fact, it is the change that keeps life alive and provides us with an opportunity to change. It's thanks to change that we can change. If everything was impermanent, if everything was permanent, then there will be a problem. In fact, one great Zen master, when he was dying, his students kind of were mourning and saying, and he said, he said, we should be grateful that we have a limited life. He said, if you and I were to live forever, it would really be a problem. <laughs> In fact, but the reason we become so fiercely attached to things, from our emotions, ideas, opinions, to our possessions and other people, is because we've not taken impermanence to heart. Once we can accept that impermanence is the very nature of life, and that everyone suffers, including ourselves, at the hand of change, at the hands of change and death, then letting go becomes our only natural thing to do, in fact, only thing that works. Then our attachment to our grief is thereby loosened, and impermanence becomes a consolation, bringing us peace, confidence, and fearlessness. In fact, actually reflecting to, on impermanence is the beginning a process of reflecting on the egolessness. Because when you realize everything is impermanent, 
And then you see that there's nothing therefore is independent. And then you realize that everything is interdependent. Comprend? And also because everything is interdependent, that you realize that our happiness and our suffering is connected. Therefore, when you realize that deeply, that you can, that you realize deeply that it actually inspires altruism and compassion. And on a deep level, when you realize the view of interdependence, the kind of, the more the symptom of that is impermanence, manifest impermanence, and deeply when you realize, lead to the realization of the ultimate nature, the shunyata. Whereas when we realize the kind of also two things, on the deeper level it inspires the realization of the ultimate nature, you see, but then on a more heart level it makes you realize on the beginning level like the altruism and then ultimately into actually compassion, bodhicitta. So you see, this reflection permanence is very important. It's really beginning really. You see, when you really realize, you see, things are impermanent. When you realize it deeply, it's when you really realize deeply, it's very moving. It's very moving and actually freeing. Comprends? So the most important of all that we can clearly see that you see when you realize things are impermanent, what we realize is most important, or that we can clearly see that how futile it is to grasp on something which is simply ungraspable or which is not there to begin with anyway. Though we know that everything is by nature impermanent, but, and somehow we can't accept that. Instead, we try to cheat this natural process, which is impossible because the, it goes against the very law of nature. As a result, we get hurt. To cut the story short, is that what we have to do is, what we all have to do is to actually accept impermanence once for all. Then a lot of problems will be over. The extraordinary thing is when you do accept death and impermanence, you realize that you're not losing anything. In fact, you're gaining everything. It is as if you lose the cloud, but you gain the sky. Here I'd like to share two short passages from the Tibetan Book of Living Dying. On the reflection death. It's like the more the, the really the kind of the, how do you say? The main, the heart. First is called the spirit of warrior. Although we have been made to believe that if we let go, will end up with nothing. But life itself reveals again and again the opposite, that letting go is the path to real freedom. Just as when the waves lash at the shore, the rocks suffer no damage, but are sculptured and eroded into beautiful shapes, so our characters can be molded and the rough edges worn smooth by change. Through weathering change, we can learn how to develop a gentle but an unshakable composure. Then what happens? Our confidence in ourselves grows and we become so much greater 
that goodness and compassion begin naturally to radiate out from us, bringing joy to others. That goodness is what survives death, a fundamental goodness that is in every one of us. In fact, the whole of life is a teaching of how to uncover that strong goodness and a training towards realizing and strengthening it. In fact, this passage now that I'm going to share called Changeless is, uh, I feel like, for example, in the Tibetan Book of Living Dying, this is the, really the kind of the culmination of all the reflection. In fact, when I wrote it, I wrote it over 25 times or more, over many days and weeks, <laughs> and then it just came. And that is, impermanence revealed has already revealed to us many truths, but is as a final treasure still in its keeping, one that lies largely hidden from us, unsuspected and unrecognized, yet most intimately our own. The poet Ricker has said that our deepest fears are like the dragons guarding our deepest treasures. That fear that impermanence waking in us, that nothing is real, that nothing lasts, is, we come to discover, our greatest friend. Because, if it, because you see, what it does is it drives us to ask, if everything dies and changes, then what is really true? Is there something behind the impermanence, something boundless and infinitely spacious, something in which the dance of change and impermanence takes place? Is there something in fact, we can depend on that does survive what we call death. Now, allowing these questions to occupy us urgently and reflecting on them, then we slowly find ourselves making a profound shift in the way we view everything. With continued contemplation and practicing letting go, we come to uncover in ourselves something, in quotes, <laughs> that we cannot name or describe or conceptualize, something that we can begin to realize lying behind all the changes and death of the world. The narrow desires and the distractions to which our obsession, but to which our obsessive grasping onto permanence has condemned us begin to dissolve and fall away. And as this happens, we catch repeated and glowing glimpses of the vast implication behind the truth of impermanence. It is as if all our lives we've been flying in an aeroplane through the dark clouds and turbulence, when suddenly the plane soars above these into a clear, boundless sky. Inspired and exhilarated by this emergence into a new dimension of freedom, we come to uncover a depth of peace, joy and confidence in ourselves that fills us with wonder and breathes in us a gradually a certainty that something that nothing destroys, that nothing alters, that they cannot die. As Milarepa wrote, in horror of death, I took to the mountains, and again and again, I meditated on the uncertainty of our of death. But then capturing the fortress of the deathless, unending nature of mind, now all fear of death is done and over with. Gradually then, we become aware in ourselves of the calm and sky-like presence of what Miller-Epper calls the deathless, unending nature of mind. And as this new awareness begins to become vivid and almost unbroken, 
The occurs what the Upanishads call a turning about in the seat of consciousness, a personal, uh, utterly non-conceptual revelation of what we are, why we are here, how we should act, which mounts in the end to nothing less than a new life, a new birth, almost, you could say, a resurrection. What a beautiful and what a healing mystery it is that from contemplating continually and fearlessly the truth of change and impermanence, we come slowly to find ourselves face to face in gratitude and joy with the truth of changeless, with the truth of deathless, the unending nature of mind. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast of the Tibetan blog of Living and Dying. Parts two and three of this teaching on living and dying today can be found on our blog. For more teachings, articles and discussions about the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, visit the Tibetan Blog of Living and Dying at www.living-and-dying.org.